Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Good morning. If you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Jonah uh, chapter 1. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 7. You'll also be able to find it on page 774 in your pew Bible. It's also provided for you there uh, in your bulletin. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's so great to have you with us this morning uh, because we know uh, that there are a million different things that you could be doing with your time this morning. For instance, uh, you could be at home Uh, getting ready for the big chill uh, that's supposed to come this week, dripping your water in your house and all that stuff so the pipes don't burst. Or you could be insulating your house so that they don't burst. Some of you did that this weekend. Others of you could be just sort of defying gravity uh, because Wicked is in town and you're so excited about that uh, coming tonight uh, down at the Tennessee Theater. Or you could be at home waiting by your phone, just waiting for it to ring to tell us that we don't have school tomorrow, Uh, but you're not doing any of those things. Or some of you are like, please don't call. I need them to leave. Uh, But But anyway, but you're not doing any of those things here. Um, uh, You're here with us this morning, so I do want to thank you for coming. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time than worship Jesus and consider his claims upon your life and think about the power and the kindness and the beauty of his salvation. And so I do want to thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name to worship him so that we might learn to rest in that great love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who love to gather together in community. And we love to get together and go to musicals. We love to get together and throw snowballs at each other. We love, but what we really love to do is get together, read the Bible, and pray together so that we can remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service, just like Leslie was talking about, so that we might learn to reflect the love of God. Uh, to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors who are here in Urban University in Knoxville. And hopefully in some way, it would spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who we are. We're people who are trying to learn how to love God, trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during this season of Epiphany, we're wanting to consider the mission of God. And what we believe is that the mission of God flows out of the heart of God. And the heart of God is a heart that is filled with compassion. And so to help us think about these things, we've begun this new series that we've entitled The Compassion, The God of Compassion, Reflections on the Book of Jonah. 
And so last week, we considered the heart of compassion. This week, we want to consider the flight from compassion. Uh, Next week, we'll consider the experience of compassion, then the fruit of compassion, the humiliation of compassion, and then finally, the invitation of compassion. All right, so this morning, we want to consider this flight from compassion as we reflect upon Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, "'What do you mean, you sleeper?' Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us, will give thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Three days and three nights. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me now for the teaching of God's word? Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful uh, for this, your word, that you are a God not hidden, nor are you silent, but you are a God who delights to make yourself known. And you've done this uh, in your word, uh, by your Holy Spirit, And ultimately, you make yourself known in the person and work of Jesus. And so it's our prayer now that as we attend unto this, your word, that you and your compassion, you and your grace, you and your mercy would attend unto us. That we would see lovely, beautiful things of you 
in this your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure if any of you have seen this hip, cool new movie called Barbie. Uh, it's about Barbie and all of her friends, Ken and Skipper and Midge and Alan. And anyway, if you've seen the movie, you know that this movie begins with this great big pink party and everyone is dancing, everyone is celebrating. They fall in line with this uh, line dance. The music is playing. Everyone is happy. Everyone is beautiful until about minute 13. And then at minute 13, uh, as Barbie and her friends are sort of holding hands, they're spinning around in a circle with one another, enjoying one another, and they're just saying to one another, this is the best day ever, and so was yesterday, and tomorrow, and the next day, even Wednesdays, and every day until forever. And then Barbie begins to sort of blink, and you see this thing kind of go across her eyes. She twitches with her lip, and as her arms are sort of waving in the air like she just doesn't care, she has this question, and she says this, do you guys ever think about dying? And then the music stops, there's a scratch on the record, and everyone looks at her like she's lost her mind. And from that moment on, uh, cellulite began to slither into the Barbie house, and confusion and discontentment began uh, to fill her mind. And eventually, she gets into her Barbie car with Ken hiding in the back seat, and off they go in search of their meaning and search of their purpose. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, what I'm about to say isn't going to ruin it for you, but uh, the movie ends and, uh, with Barbie's life sort of flashing uh, before her eyes, and there's this song that's in the background. Uh, many of you know this song sung by Billie Eilish, What Was I Made For? And it goes like this, I used to float, right? Uh, now I just fall, but now I just fall down. I used to know, but I'm not sure now what I was made for. Uh, what was I made for? And that seems to be the theme of this movie. It's asking this incredibly important question, right? What was I made for? What does it mean to be a human? What is our core identity? Now, it's interesting to me that as this movie has racked up on a lot of awards, it has also received a lot of criticism, both from the right and from the left. And the right, the conservatives have been criticizing uh, Greta Gerwig's movie uh, because of her discussions of feminism. And then the, the left, the liberals maybe, have been criticizing the movie because it upholds uh, biological views of men and women. But I think it's really important for us to listen to what Greta Gerwig thought about the movie that she was trying to make. In the New York Times uh, magazine, she was interviewed about the movie, and here's what she said. She said, you know, growing up, I loved Barbie, uh, but I know that the dolls made many women feel like they don't measure up. She goes on to say, essentially, women are receiving their identity. They're receiving their vision of who they are from this doll, what they thought they should look like, what they thought they should be. And so what she wanted to do was make a movie that would subvert that vision using Barbie to affirm the worth that an ordinary woman feels. And so she says, I intended to make a quasi-religious movie. And what she meant by quasi-religious, she goes on to say, she says this, she says, growing up, her Christian family's closest friends were observant Jews. And they vacationed together, and they constantly tore around each other's homes, and she would also eat with them on Friday nights for Shabbat dinner, where blessings were sung in Hebrew, including over the children at the table. 
May God bless you and protect you. May God show you favor and be gracious to you. May God show you kindness and grant you peace. So every Friday, the family's father would rest his hand on Gerwig's head, just as he did his own children, and he would bless her too. And reflecting on those dinners, she said this, I remember feeling the sense of whatever your wins and losses were for the week, whatever you did or didn't do, when you come to this home, when you come to this table, your value has nothing to do with that. You are a child of God, and I put my hand over you, and I bless you as a child of God at this table, and that is your value. I remember feeling so safe in that and feeling so like enough. I want people to feel like I did at Shabbat dinner. I want them to get blessed too. I think it's a really powerful way of thinking about what she's trying to do. And it's powerful because what she's doing is, you see, this Shabbat dinner that she experienced, at those dinners, she was experiencing God's generous, gracious blessing. Or in our tradition, what we call it is the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Right? May the Lord... May the gracious, compassionate creator God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you as his very own child. And when that compassion, when that blessing is bestowed upon us, when we receive that kind of gracious blessing from God, it becomes our desire for others to receive the blessing as well. Do you hear what she's saying? She's saying that in order for us to really understand who we are, what we were made for, we need a word that would come to us, a blessing that would come to us from the outside. We need something beyond our successes. Uh, We need something beyond our failures. We need something beyond our experiences. We need something beyond our own desires to define us and let us know who we are and how we're to live. We need a word from God. And that's what the book of Jonah is really all about. Uh, The book of Jonah is God's word to us. It is an embodied prophetic act that is teaching us that we are sinners who are saved by grace. That we are sinners saved by grace. And that's what I want us to think about this morning, right? That we are sinners we're saved by grace. We're sinners saved by grace. Would you say that with me? We are sinners saved by grace. And this is what we see in this book of Jonah. This is what we see in him. I want you to notice the way the passage begins. Amazingly, it begins in verse 1. Verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now let's stop right there. The Lord, all caps, the Lord, Yahweh. Now we've talked about this over and over again, but this is really important. The Lord is the personal name of God. The Lord is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord is the covenant-keeping, faithful God, the one who made us, the one who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. 
This is the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. This is the God who came to Abraham and called Abraham to follow him. This is the God who said, follow me and I will make you into a great nation. I will give you offspring and you and your children will be a blessing to the nations. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. This then is the God who hears our cries. This is a God who sees our tears. This is a God who then rescues us from slavery. The God who forgives us for our sins. The God who promises to be our father. The God who graciously calls us his dearly loved children. And this is a God who then promises that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And this is a God that we just talked about who is not silent nor hidden, but reveals himself to us in his word, by his spirit, and in the face of his son, Jesus. And this is what we were made for, to be his. We were made to be his, to be his children, to know his grace, to know his favor, to know his truth, to know his love, to know his mercy. We were made to be a people who would rest in his presence, delighting in his compassion, and then receiving his compassion and reflecting that compassion to the nations. Right? This is what we were made for. And so his word comes to Jonah, and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh. But I want you to notice verse 3. So Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And what I want you to see here is that God said go, and Jonah said no. And I want you to notice that Jonah's no was not merely a disobedience to a command. His no was his fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And I think this is really important. Because sin isn't just any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God, right? It is that. Sin isn't just uh, doing what we ought not to do and doing what we uh, ought not to do. It, It is these things, but it is so much more. See, if this is a way, if if only if we only think about sin in terms of the things we do, then sin is just behavioral. It's just behavioral. And that's oftentimes the way we think about sin. It's just doing bad things or not doing good things. And so then this becomes the way we tend to think about Christianity, that Christianity is just about being good and not being bad. There's a lot more to Christianity, though, than just our behavior. I want you to notice, again, that Jonah's sin is personal. It says that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Jonah was fleeing from God. It's not just that Jonah didn't want to do what God told him to do. It's not just that Jonah was afraid of Nineveh. It is that Jonah didn't want to be with God. And so he fled. And this is the essence of sin. Sin is rejecting God, right? We've said this before, sin is giving God the bird, right? Sin is avoiding him. It's fleeing from him. It's rejecting him. And you can avoid God in all kinds of ways. You can avoid God by being bad. 
and you can avoid God by being good. And if y'all are anything like me, you've tried it both ways, right? Many of us, if we're just honest, uh, let's be honest, we've all said in our hearts to God, I'll do what I want. Uh, I don't need you. Uh, You have no authority over me, or you have no authority over this part of my life. In our hearts, and then with our lives, we have said to God, I think you're mean. I think you're violent. I think you're unkind. I don't like you. With our words, with our hearts, with our lives, we have said to God, I don't want to be around you. I don't want to be with you. We've also said to God, God, I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm good. I've kind of got life figured out. We look around, we measure ourselves against one another, and say, well, I mean, I'm better than Rob. Uh, I'm better better than Ben. Uh, I'm better than my wife. I mean, come on. Uh, You know, I mean, we think about our lives, you know, and we think, well, I've never, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't robbed a bank this week. Uh, I have everything that I need, and I kind of enjoy the life I have, and so what do I need God for? Things are going pretty good. And I think many of us, even when we think about Christianity, we think the goal of being a Christian is that we would good, uh, good enough uh, that at some point we wouldn't need Jesus anymore. That we get to a point in our life where we don't need him. And sadly, I think we hear this in the way we talk about being a Christian. Because when we talk about being a Christian, we almost think about being a Christian or talk about Christianity through the lens of, I need him because I sin. But I want you to think about this. Before sin uh, ever entered into the world, we needed God. Before sin ever even entered into the world, we needed him. And we didn't need him in that moment just for forgiveness. We needed him for life itself. But even in that statement, when we think about God, we only think about it in terms of needing him, and which is true, we need him. But do you ever talk about God or think about God in terms of loving him, in terms of delighting in him, in terms of desiring him, in terms of wanting to be with him? I want you to notice uh, the phrase here in verse 3. It says, the presence of the Lord. Now, in Hebrew, the word for presence is literally the word face. It's the word face. And so, Jonah fled from the face of the Lord. Now, reflecting upon this, Eugene Peterson wrote this. He said, in infancy, our eyes gradually focus. The face becomes our first vista. By means of the parental face, we know ourselves as ourselves, and in its expressions, learn our place in the world. In the face of our parents, we acquire trust and affection, or in some terrible cases, rejection and abuse. Our formative years are spent looking up into the face, and we grow up toward what we are looking up into." And what he's saying is that as children, the face of our parents tell us who we are. Whether we're a joy and a delight or whether we are all of shame. 
And so when we look up into the face of our parent and we see their smile upon us, we begin to enter into the world with great freedom and with great joy and with great confidence because we know we have the smile of our parent. And this is why the people of God long for the face of God. Or as our benediction says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, as God's people, we long for God's face. And to have his face is to have his smile. Right? To have his face is to know that you're loved. To have his face is to know that you belong. To have his face is to have the intimacy with him. To have his face is to have peace with him. To have his face is to have him. This week, uh, I was in Arizona with my pastoral cohort and a friend of mine, uh, Tim Hayes, who uh, was y'all's former pastor, uh, is from Gainesville, Florida. He led us in a time of prayer, a season of prayer through Psalm 27. And I was struck by the cry of the psalmist. Listen to this. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. To seek the face of the Lord know his presence, to be intimate with him, is the greatest desire of God's people because that is what we were made for. We were made to dwell with him, to enjoy him. And this is important because the purpose of life is not just being good. The purpose of life is being with God. And it's in being with him that we become more and more like him. But here's the sad thing about Jonah. Jonah fled from the face of the Lord. And that's what sin is. Sin is fleeing from God. And that's the point of this book. Jonah represents us. He represents me. He represents a people who have his word and have his smile and run from him. That is the essence of sin, to flee the face of God. And that is who we are. We are a people who run from his pleasure. We are a people who run from him. And what this tells us is that we are sinners saved by grace. Right? We are sinners saved by grace. Would you say that with me? We are sinners saved by grace. But this brings up an important question. Why would we run? Right? Why do we run? It it makes no sense. Uh, Why would Jonah run from God? We might say that Jonah ran because he was scared of Nineveh. But that is not what the story says. The story tells us that he runs from God. He is running from God, not from Nineveh. He's running from God to Tarshish. And so God says, arise. And notice uh, uh, in verse 3 and in verse 5, two times. So God says, arise. And what does Jonah do? He goes down. 
God says, get up. He goes down. God says, go east to Nineveh. So Jonah goes west to Tarshish. God says, go. Jonah says, no. Why? Well, I want you to look at verse 8. The sailors, they, they come to Jonah and they say, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now this should be funny. Like you should read, like you should be laughing at Jonah. If, Jonah, if God, the God he worships, made everything, made the land and the sea, and you're running from him, why are you getting on the sea? Like, you're not running from him. You can't get away from him, right? But I want you to notice his response. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and my God is powerful. That's what he highlights. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and my God is powerful. Now, what he doesn't highlight is that his God is full of compassion. Now, this might be a bit of an overread, but in light of the whole story of Jonah, which we're going to see over the next few weeks, uh, this is a really big deal. Jonah loved the smile of being a Hebrew. Jonah loved uh, the smile of being a part of the chosen people of God. Jonah loved the power of his God. Jonah loved that God's compassion had come to him and to his people. But Jonah frowned upon the fact that God's compassion might go out to his enemies. What I want you to see here is that Jonah loved the smile of being in with God, right? He loved the power of God, but he wanted to see that power extended over his enemies. And he didn't want the compassion of God to then bring his enemies in just as it had brought him in. Now, that's a lot, but I think it's enough for us to see that we're a lot like Jonah, it's easy for us now to identify with Jonah because this is why people call us Presbyterian. This is why people call Presbyterians like the frozen chosen. Because we love the fact that we're chosen. And sadly, we tend to look down on those people that we think are not chosen. We love God's power. And we love the compassion that he's shown to us. But we struggle to share that compassion with others. It's very easy for each of us to say, we're sinners saved by grace. It's very hard to love other sinners who are also saved by grace. Not only that, I think one of the reasons Jonah struggles uh, to share the smile of God with others, and the reason we struggle to share the smile of God with others, uh, is because we're longing for the smile of other things. We want other things to smile upon us. Jonah loved the smile of being the right kind of person. Jonah loved the smile of being religious. He loved the smile of being a prophet. He loved the smile of being a Hebrew. And he was content with that. And he thought that having God's smile was just a part of life rather than life itself. And I think this makes us ask a question. Whose smile do we long for? Right? Whose smile are you after? That's the question, one of the questions that Jonah's making us ask. Because it's not just uh, that when we disobey, uh, we disobey. It's that when we disobey, we long for the smile of something else. 
We long for someone else's smile. So maybe we look in the mirror and we long to smile back on ourselves and smile over ourselves. And we think it's our smile that makes us something. Rather than basking in and rejoicing into the smile the Father already has for us. Maybe we want um, the smile of happiness. And so we think, man, if, uh, if it makes me happy, it can't be that bad. So rather than resting in the smile of God, who is our eternal joy, we look to all these other things to try to make us happy, and they don't do it. Maybe we want the smile of uh, power. And so we spend our time trying to deconstruct all the powers in order to feel powerful, rather than enjoying the power of God's presence. Maybe we want the smile of freedom, rather than living out of the freedom that the Father's smile gives to us. We're all on our own journey like Jonah, running to Tarshish, seeking the smile of foreign lands, rather than rejoicing in the smile of our God. See, we're like Jonah. We're sinners, saved by grace. Right? We're sinners, saved by grace. Would you say it with me? We're sinners, saved by grace. Now, we've talked a lot about being sinners. Uh, so let's spend a few moments now thinking about God's grace. I want you to think about it this way. This, this week, I was talking with a friend of mine about Jonah. And we were talking about how this could have been a really short book. I mean, it could have been three verses. It could have been verse one, God said, go to Nineveh. Verse two, Jonah said, I'll go to Tarshish. And then it could have ended with verse three, and God struck Jonah dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right? <laughs> That's not the story, right? That's not the way it goes. Why don't you look at verse 4? But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, I want you to think about this. Jonah, right, is fleeing from the presence of God, and so what does God do? He hurls a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. And so here's the point. Here's what's happening. God is hurling the storm to stop Jonah's running. The storm is God's gracious pursuit of Jonah. The storm is like the father running after his rebellious son. You see, our God chases after us, even when we run. And then notice verse 5, the mariners were afraid and they hurled the cargo into the sea. And then verse 15, they hurled Jonah into the sea. And again, here's the point. Uh, there's a lot of hurling that's going on in the midst of this storm. And it's not because they're seasick. Uh, it's because God is hurling his grace upon the seas in order to bring his son back to him. And then notice verse 6, the captain of the ship came to Jonah and said, Arise, call out to your God. Now, uh, as soon as the captain says, Arise, call out to your God, that should sound familiar to us. Verse 2, God said, Arise. And this is amazing, because what's now happening is that God's word is now put into the mouth of pagan sailors. And so rather than cursing Jonah like a sailor, he speaks God's word of grace. And he says, arise, return to your God. 
Right? Do you see the amazing grace of God at work here? Jonah refused to go and speak God's grace to pagans. So what happens? Pagans speak God's grace to him. And they say, arise, go back to your God. Now here's what I hope you see. It is God who hurls the storm. And then you get down to verse 17. It's God who appoints this fish, not to kill Jonah, but to rescue Jonah. And I think this is incredible because what we're seeing in this book is that God wants to show compassion to his enemies. But not only that, God loves to show compassion to his children who are acting like his enemies. But here's the deal. God doesn't want to be our enemy. God is our heavenly father. And he longs to be at peace with us. He longs for his smile to rest upon us and for us to enjoy it and to delight in his gracious presence. And so here's the good news of the text. You can never outrun God. You can run from God, right? But you cannot hide from God. You can leave God, but he will never leave you. You can give up on him, but he's never going to give up on you. Even if he has to hurl a great storm into your life in order to bring you back to him. You see, we're sinners, but we are saved by grace. We are sinners saved by grace. Would you say that with me? We are sinners saved by grace. And that's the point of this table. Here at this table, we see God's grace just spread out before us. This table is God's grace to sinners. And it's through this table that he invites us to stop running and come back to him. At this table, what we're reminded of is that though we run, God runs after us. And rather than hurling a storm, we have a God who hurls himself. Rather than appointing a fish, he appointed a day, a day in which he would go to the cross and die. We have a God who then left the comforts and the glories of heaven and entered into the storms of our life and was swallowed up unto death so that we who are sinners might come back to his table. As we sit at his table, then he then places his hand upon our heads and he pronounces his blessing upon us in the midst of his presence. And he says, I'm your God. It is my smile that rests upon you. It is my countenance that is lifted up to you. I'm the one who gives you peace. Come and rejoice in me.